Welcome to the Gainesville Vineyard Podcast, featuring sermons given at our church and community center located in the Lincoln Estates neighborhood in Gainesville, Florida. If you find these messages beneficial, if you're part of our community, or if you want to help support the services we're providing to Southeast Gainesville, you can text the word GIVE to 352-562-7771 to make tax-deductible donations. Here's this week's message. We've got a couple of announcements, and then I'll move right into the teaching for today. First announcement is uh, set aside something for communion. We're going to take communion at the end of our time together. So get something to eat, something to drink, uh, and we'll consecrate those together at the end of the service. So go ahead and set those aside and get those ready. I've got some gluten-free Hawaiian sweet bread, because that's a wonderful thing, and some Darjeeling tea. That's what I'll be using for my communion elements, and I hope you'll have some handy on your end as well. Next announcement is uh, grocery giveaway is happening this Wednesday. Uh, we're getting good turnout again like we did before and the, the the inventory is still flowing and so we had a, we had a good amount of volunteers last Wednesday. We had 14 volunteers. I was so encouraged uh, and thank you for everyone who came out and helped us give out those groceries. Um, if you can help us this week, uh, it runs from like 10 to 12 on Wednesday. If you can come for part of the time, especially the first hour is when we do most of the work at, from 10 to 11. I'd love to have you, love to see you, love to bump elbows is what we're doing now. I don't know why. Um, but we're, we're everyone's wearing masks. All the people we're serving are staying in their cars and we're loading them up. It's not uh, too labor intensive. And uh, it's, it's, it's a real treat to get to see other people and to serve other people in this very meaningful way. So thanks to everyone who's coming out. And if you if you haven't come out yet, you're welcome to come on Wednesday at 10 a.m. at the bridge. I'd love to have you. Um, and if you know anyone who needs groceries, send them out. People start lining up probably around 8. Um, but if you get there at, at, at 11 when we start, I promise you'll get some groceries. You'll be fine. Um, Next announcement is our Lent Silence Challenge is still going on. Uh, some of us are upping to 15 minutes a day this week, but you do you and whatever works for you. But set aside some time each day, if you can, to just sit in stillness and in silence with the Spirit and see what comes of it. Uh, see what percolates up in your own soul. See what the Spirit might be saying to you about things. I don't know what. I got some stuff going on with me, but um, you'll have some stuff going on with you that'll be your own stuff. So um, I hope you're participating in that challenge, and I'd love to get some feedback. I've heard from a few people who have enjoyed the experience so far or gotten a lot out of it. Enjoyed might not be the best word for some of us, but it's being it's productive, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So I uh, hope you're participating in that, and I'd love some feedback from you if you are. Um, last announcement is giving. There are three ways you can contribute financially to the life of the Gainesville Vineyard Church and the GNV Bridge Community Center. I'm putting those up on the screen. The first way is you can text the word give to the number on the screen. You can also go to our website, gainesvillevineyard.org, click on the give button in the upper right hand corner and give that way, or you can mail a check to the P.O. Box. We appreciate everyone who's able to give on a regular or even a semi-regular basis. Um, all of the monies that you donate are, of course, tax deductible. And they go to continue doing the kingdom work that we're doing as a church and as a community center, which is growing steadily. Um, so thanks for that. Really appreciate everyone who contributes to our life in that way as you're able. Let me move into the teaching now. 
Uh, we've been walking with Jeremiah all year, ever since the turn of the year. And since Lent began a few weeks ago, we've also been walking with Jesus his last week uh, of his earthly life before the crucifixion and resurrection. And I've got another stop to make today with both of these uh, guys. Um, let's start with Jeremiah. I'll give you a bit of a recap. I'm not going to go back over all of this because uh, I'm sure you're just, you know, Judah monarchy history is right there at the top of your memory. So I don't have to do too much uh, <laughs> jogging your memory, right? So kind of where we left things, um, you know, Judah had been under siege by Babylon for quite some time, pretty much the entirety of Jeremiah's life and ministry. And throughout his life, Jeremiah kept encouraging the people that this was from the Lord, that they should not resist Babylon, they should surrender, they should submit to Babylonian rule, and that they would live and it would go well for them. And some of them were going to go into captivity, and some of them were going to stay behind and serve under Babylon there in their homes in Judah, but everyone should just submit. Of course, the people did not want to hear this, especially the ruling class and especially the kings who were assured that, you know, uh, a, a descendant of David would always sit on the throne of Judah. And so they, they didn't listen to Jeremiah, and it did not go well for them. In 597 BCE, Babylon conquered Judah for the first time. They breached the wall of Jerusalem. Uh, they captured the king Jehoiachin, and they deported Jehoiachin and about 10,000 of the upper noble and artisan class to Babylon at that time. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, put in Jehoiachin's place his uncle Zedekiah. He made Zedekiah the king of Judah. Zedekiah was also a descendant from the line of David. Um, and his brother, two of his brothers, had been king before him and one of his nephews. And so Zedekiah had to pay tribute to Babylon. He was a vassal under under Nebuchadnezzar, and, and he did that for several years. And this was in keeping with what Jeremiah had been telling the people all along, that submitting to Babylon's rule was the will of Yahweh, and they should do that. And it was going to be uh, a, a period of, of punishment for their own sins and crimes against the nation and against the covenant that they had with Yahweh. But then at some point, several years on, Zedekiah rebelled, and he stopped paying tribute to Babylon. And he made an alliance with Egypt. And somehow uh, the Judahites, uh, or at least the, the king of Judah and the pharaoh of Egypt, uh, thought that together they would have enough strength to withstand Babylon. Um, they were sadly mistaken in that conclusion. And so in 589, Nebuchadnezzar invaded Judah again and laid siege to Jerusalem for 30 months. And Nebuchadnezzar came in person to the battle, which was not all that common. And during this time, Jeremiah kept encouraging Zedekiah and the people who were still trapped in Jerusalem, and Jeremiah was with them there, that they should submit to Babylon, that they should surrender, and that they would live, and they should at last accept this as from the Lord. And so I want to read this passage to you because this is a conversation, the private conversation that Jeremiah has with Zedekiah. It's recorded in chapter 38. Look at this, starting in verse 14. Then King Zedekiah sent for Jeremiah. He had been in prison. They had actually put him in a cistern and they were going to let him starve to death. Uh, but then uh, a foreigner in the land, a Cushite, got him out of the cistern and they kept him in jail. So Zedekiah sent to the jail for Jeremiah. 
Then King Zedekiah sent for Jeremiah and had him brought to the third entrance of the Lord's temple. I want to ask you something, the king said, and don't try to hide the truth. Jeremiah said, If I tell you the truth, won't you kill me? And even if I give you counsel, you won't listen to me anyway. So King Zedekiah secretly made this oath to him. As the Lord lives, who made this life of ours, I will not kill you or hand you over to the men who want you dead. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, This is what the Lord God of armies, the God of Israel, says. If you surrender to the Babylonian king's officers, you and your family will live, and the city will not be burned down. But if you refuse to surrender, this city will be handed over to the Babylonians, and they will burn it to the ground, and you yourself will not escape from their hands. Now, sadly, Zedekiah did not listen to Jeremiah. He refused to surrender, and the the 30-month siege was just horrific. And it ended horribly for Zedekiah and for his family. I'm not going to go into details about that because kids might be watching this morning. Um, so it, it's all there in Jeremiah chapter 39. It's also in 2 Kings 25, and, and you can read it for yourself. But it does not end well for Zedekiah. The end result was that Babylon completely conquered Judah, and they left a commander, Nebuzaradan was his name. They left him in charge, and his task was to level Jerusalem to the ground, including the royal palace, including the temple that Solomon had built 370 years before. And that's what the Babylonians did under commander Nebuzaradan. They completely destroyed the city. And then Nebuzaradan, the commander of the Babylonian Imperial Guard, the man responsible for destroying the city of Jerusalem, gives a word from the Lord to Jeremiah and the freedom to choose his own path. Look at this. This is in Jeremiah chapter 40. The word came to Jeremiah from the Lord after Nebuzaradan, the commander of the Imperial Guard, had released him at Ramah. He had found Jeremiah bound in chains among all the other captives of Jerusalem and Judah who were being sent into exile in Babylon. The commander said to Jeremiah, The Lord your God decreed this disaster for this place, and now the Lord has brought it about. He has done just as he said he would. All this happened because you people sinned against the Lord and did not obey him. But today I'm freeing you from the chains on your wrists. If you want to come with me to Babylon, you are welcome. I will see that you are well cared for. But if you don't want to come, you may stay here. The whole land is before you. Go wherever seems good to you. If you decide to stay, go to Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, the grandson of Shaphan. He's been appointed governor of Judah by the king of Babylon. Stay there with the people he rules. But it's up to you. Go wherever you like. Then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, gave Jeremiah some food and money and let him go. So Jeremiah returned to Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, at Mizpah, and he lived in Judah with the few who were still left in the land. Walter Brueggemann says of this moment in Jeremiah's life that in a time of chaos and turmoil, his life has become a zone of free choice, which is just incredible considering all that's going on around him. 
But Jeremiah chose to stay. He wasn't a traitor to Babylon. He hadn't been preaching submission to Babylon all this time because he wanted favor from the Babylonians, and he wouldn't accept it. Uh, He also wasn't a deserter. He didn't abandon his people at any point, even though he could have. And he doesn't abandon them at this point. He continued to encourage the people of Judah to listen to and obey Yahweh. Somehow Nebuzaradan, the official of Babylon, knows Yahweh and what Yahweh has commanded. Um, And Jeremiah wants the people of Judah to understand and live by that as well. To submit and live is what he says to them over and over again. And thereby to experience the same freedom that came to him through a word of the Lord from the man who oversaw the demolition of Jerusalem. It's just mind-boggling. Jeremiah consistently called the people of Judah to accept that they were not in power. They were not in power in Babylon. They were not in power in Judah. They were not going to be in power for a good 70 years. But that their role was to serve from a place of powerlessness. Their role was to serve the people who were their captors, who were the ones that had pulled them into captivity. Their role was to Work for the peace of the city of Babylon. Work for the peace of Judah as a province of Babylon. And that by serving in this way, in this powerless way, this was the path to freedom. It was the path to Jeremiah's freedom. And it was the path to freedom that he encouraged the Judahites to walk in. And we'll see how that goes for them uh, next week. But for now, for today, we see a parallel of this called to serve in this powerless way uh, in Jesus's life as well. And this last week uh, before his crucifixion, in the evening before his arrest, Jesus shared the Last Supper with some of his core followers. And during that meal, he washed their feet. And this is recorded in John 13. Now, the passage in John 13 reminds us that Judas was present at this meal um, and he was about to betray Jesus after Jesus washed his feet. And, and we'll see in just a moment that Peter's also featured in this story. And spoiler warning, uh, he's going to deny Jesus three times before we get to Easter. Uh, he's going to pretend he doesn't even know who Jesus is. He's going to be scared of, uh, of, of a young girl so much that he's just going to lie about his relationship with Jesus. Um, and he does all that with feet that have just been washed by Jesus. Uh, we should also mention here, this doesn't say explicitly in the passage, but all the others who are at the table, they're all about to flee. They are going to run away on, you guessed it, uh, feet that have very recently been cleaned by their Lord, by their teacher, by their friend, uh, the one they are ghosting. They are ghosting Jesus on feet that Jesus has just washed. So, That's the setup. Let me read this to you. This is in John chapter 13. Before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own in the world, now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Knowing that the Father had placed all things in his hands, and that he came from God and was returning to God, Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet 
drying them with the towel he had wrapped around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You don't yet understand what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, You will never, ever wash my feet. Never. Jesus replied, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not just my feet, but also my hands and head. Jesus said to him, One who has had a bath does not need to wash, except for the feet, to be entirely clean. And you all are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. That was why he said not everyone was clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe, reclined at the table again, and asked, Do you understand what I was doing to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, because I am. So if I, the Lord, and the teacher have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example, so that you will do just as I have done for you. Amen, amen, I'm telling you, a slave is not superior to their Lord, nor is a messenger superior to the one sending them. If you understand all this, you are blessed if you do it. There are two things going on here at the same moment. On the theological level, this is an acted-out parable of salvation. Jesus tells Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part of me. You're, you're not part of this group. You're not part of my kingdom if I don't wash your feet. Jesus washes us clean of our sins. He washes the dirt off of, of what we walk through in life. We both receive salvation initially and we keep receiving sanctification from Jesus. That's part of what this means. And we're like Peter, like Zedekiah. We have to accept that Jesus is doing this for us. We have to submit to it. And that's hard for us in the same way it was hard for Peter, in the same way it was hard for Zedekiah. And there's also an ethical meaning here as well. Jesus sets an example that we are to imitate. He specifically says this in the passage. We are to wash the dirt off of each other's feet. We are to do what Nebuzaradan did for Jeremiah. We are to set each other free from the fetters that bind us so that we can live like Augustine encouraged us to live. You know, love the Lord and do what you want is what Augustine says. And that's possible for us when we make that possible for each other. When we go about this sort of life and follow Jesus's example. But it's not just about some sort of religious practice. And foot washing can be turned into religious practice like anything else can be. But that's not what Jesus is necessarily saying here. Although foot washing is fine if you want to do it. What Jesus is saying here is I want you to follow this process. This is an imitation process. So let me walk you through it because there's four steps in this process. The first is, there are four steps. There's show, know, do, and be. Okay, if you're taking notes, go write that down. Show, know, do, and be. The first step is show. Jesus gets their attention by washing their feet. This is completely contrary to social conventions. Their sensibilities are offended. They're shocked. They're they're humbled by his humility. Um, We're not told how the rest of them respond, but Peter is 
often the representative of the disciples in the Gospels. And so this this resistance, like, no, you can't do this. I can't allow you to do this. I can't receive this from you. It's a very typical, very human way of responding. And not only does Peter respond that way, but we all respond that way. There's a lot of Zedekiah in all of us. And the word to submit and allow something to happen doesn't usually sit well with us. So the first step is Jesus shows us who he is in our lives through some sort of act like this. And the next step is that we have to understand what that is, the no step in the process. Jesus tells Peter, look, you don't understand this now, but you're going to understand it later. Um, And then he asks the group afterwards, do you understand what I've done for you? And of course they don't understand what he's done for them. Uh, and he didn't expect them to because foot washing, it's a precursor. It's, it's a foreshadowing of the crucifixion, which is coming like 12 hours later from the scene we're in right now. Jesus wanted this question to stay with them. He was inviting them to think about all of it. Jesus is demanding that they contemplate, that they interpret his act. He wants them to think through, what what did that mean when he washed my feet and told me to do the same sorts of things to other people? So the second step is we have to do that. We have to exegete what Jesus does in our lives. We have to interpret it and, and apply it to our own lives. Suk Gushen says, Imitating Jesus' example is more than merely replicating the act of foot washing but requires an interpretive process by which the disciples decipher the underlying meaning or implications of the original act and thus actualize the true intent of their master's act in their own personal contexts. And then the third step is do. Jesus tells them that they are to do for others the same sort of thing as he has done for them. They're to wash the world's grime off of people the same way Jesus has done. He's They're to set people free the same way Jesus has set them free. They're to do the hard work of interpreting what Jesus has done for them and then have that inform what they do for the others around them in their own lives. And then the fourth step is to be. Once you have seen what Jesus has done, once you have understood it, once you have imitated it, it changes who you are. Jesus says, blessed are you is the literal wording in the the Greek. Blessed are you if you do this, recognizing what Jesus has done, understanding what Jesus has done, and imitating what Jesus has done. This transforms us existentially. This changes who we are. And this applies to us. This This is not just, you know, a thing that happened to Jeremiah in Jeremiah's day. This is not just a thing that happened to the disciples in Jesus' day. This happens to us. Jesus has washed your feet. I mean, maybe not, probably not literally, but Jesus has done something similar in your own life. When has Jesus washed your feet? When has Jesus washed the dirt off of you? When has Jesus set you free and humbled you by his service at the same time. When have you felt free and humbled in the same moment? That's a good clue. And I don't know when that is for you. I, I, I know that as I was preparing for this, I thought of several moments in my own life. And so I would encourage you, first of all, today and this week, to think to yourself, 
when has Jesus done something in my life that's like a foot washing? When has Jesus set me free and served me? When have I felt both free and humbled at the same time? Just try to identify some key moments in your life. And then the second step is to unpack those moments, to understand them, to think through what it means. Jesus has shown you in some specific, particular way who he is for you. And what your imitation of Jesus is, is based on what Jesus has shown you, what Jesus has done for you. Rudolf Bultmann says it this way, Jesus is only to be seen in that which on each occasion he is from me. Jesus shows you himself in your life, in your particularity. What does that look like and what does that mean? Have you processed that? Have you thought through it? Do you understand it? Just like Jesus says to the disciples after he washes their feet, do you understand what I've done for you? Jesus is asking us the same question. Do you understand what I've done for you? Have you interpreted it? Have you thought through it? What did you learn about Jesus? What did you learn about yourself through what Jesus has done in your life? The showing is not enough by itself. Each of us has to do the hard work of discernment and interpretation. And the Holy Spirit guides us through this. And ideally, we do it in community. And, and today, maybe more than any other week in the pandemic, I'm really longing to be in person. Because this is the sort of service where we would sit and talk about this for as long as, as, as we wanted to. About what this means for you. And what this means for each of us. Because Jesus comes to each of us in our own particularity. And we learn something about who he is and something about who we are through that. And he invites us to process that and then imitate that. And that's how the body of Christ grows and is formed and ministers to itself and to the world. And so I wish we were in person so we could discuss this in a full-formed way. And we'll get there. It's coming, right? Vaccines are coming. The new normal is coming down the road, hopefully soon. Um, so once we've understood what Jesus has shown us in our own lives, how Jesus has shown up in our lives, I guess that's what I'm saying. Jesus has shown up in your life. And part of what it means, one of the beginning steps of what it means to be a disciple is to unpack that, to interpret that, to sit with that, to contemplate that, and then have that inform how we act. So once Jesus has shown up in your life and you've understood what that says about Jesus and about you, then the question is, does that inform what you do now? It has to. And I've said many times to you that the command of God comes to each of us in our particularity right? Jesus will tell you to do things that he doesn't tell me to do. He'll tell me to do things that he doesn't tell you to do. And it's all good. In Jeremiah's day, the, the word of the Lord for some of them was go into captivity. This is what I'm telling you to do. For others, it was stay in Judah and, and tend the vineyards and, and tend the land and be faithful here. So it looks different for different people. 
but it's still all the command of God coming to each of us where we are in our own particularity. And this is the particularity. What Jesus has done for you, uh, what Jesus has shown you of himself, that gets interpreted into lifelong kingdom action. And all of this, showing, knowing, and doing, is the basis for becoming. This is how we become our true selves. This is how we become who we are in Christ. This is how we become who we are meant to be. What Jesus has shown us, this becomes constitutive of who we are. At least that's the idea. So what Jesus has shown you, is that becoming constitutive of who you are? This is what discipleship is. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is the way to use a 2020 word that we fell off the wagon on. Um, and for all that particularity, here are a few generalizations, okay? Um, one, as I mentioned before, we resist. Uh, we're like Zedekiah. We're like Peter. Um, submit and live. I'm going to wash your feet. That's the last things we want to be any part of. We don't want to hear that. We don't want any part of that. Except as Jesus says to Peter, this is the only way to be part of me. If you don't take part in this, then you don't have any part in Jesus. So that's one generalization. Is This is the human condition is to resist. Zedekiah has his pride. He's the king of Judah. He's not submitted to anybody. It does not end well for him. Peter has his pride. And Jesus is able to break through in his instance and get Peter to submit. Although Peter still tries to, we won't get into the head and the hands. Um, poor Peter. But Peter's just like us. We're the same way. When you see Peter acting the fool, you've got to know that's me and you right there. That's not anything but exactly how we would act in the same situation. Um, the second generalization is uh, not only do we resist um, the call to serve in this powerless sort of way, this kingdom way, um, we also are quite allergic to Jesus's humility. Like what Jesus does here is very humbling. He strips down to either his tunic or maybe his um, birthday suit. Oh, it's not clear. Um, and then he puts a towel around his waist and, and girds his loins, as it says um, in the Greek, and, and proceeds to wash their feet. Um, with the basin water and dry them with the towel that's around his loins. It's very humbling. This is slave work. A slave should have been doing this, but there were no slaves present apparently at this meal. Jesus exhibits just the most stark humility. This is the God of the universe. This is their Lord and their teacher, their master. He's about to die on the cross for them. That's humiliating enough. But before he does that, he runs this practice run of humility. And we're allergic to it. We find it quite humbling to be served salvation by a God who shows up acting like a slave. That's really tough for us. The kings of Judah, they weren't the only ones who had pride that was hard to lay down. Um, it's not in our nature to receive what Jesus does for us. The Holy Spirit helps us with that. But there are still those moments in our lives where we're confronted by the humility of Jesus 
and it humbles us as well. And those are key moments that we need to think through and see what they mean for us and how we go about the rest of our lives. But I do know that in my own process of Jesus showing me who he is and me coming to understand and put those into practice, that there are at least two things that have stood out to me. Uh, one is, is this idea of particularity, that what God commands of one person is not necessarily what God commands of another person. And we can't apply what the Lord requires of us to what the Lord might require of someone else. That's not what we're called to. We're not called to put each other under sets of rules. We're called to work for each other's freedom. By working for each other's freedom, we're participating in the work of the Holy Spirit. And we're working for our own freedom. And that's the one thing I've learned through this, my own process of following Jesus in this imitation of Christ sort of way. The other thing I've learned is just hope. There is hope here. Jeremiah wasn't wrong. At any point in that story, if they had submitted to Babylon, if they had listened to Jeremiah at any point, it would have gone really well for them. It seems pretty clear that Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, they, they were not interested in destroying Jerusalem or Judah. It was, you know, on the way to Egypt. It was in the middle of lots of other things. Uh, they really just wanted Judah to pay their taxes and mind their own business. And boy, they just couldn't do that. Uh, part and parcel with the rest of their disobedience to Yahweh. But even at the late stage in the game that we read just a minute ago, when Babylon has surrounded Jerusalem, and they're in the middle of this siege that is going to end in Jerusalem's destruction, when, when Jeremiah met secretly with Zedekiah, if Zedekiah had only listened, all oh, it would have gone so much better. Um... And, and it did go better for some people who did listen to Jeremiah, and we'll get there. As dark as Jeremiah is, it's there's hope. There's hope that in following the way of Yahweh and following the way of Jesus, that there is real freedom. And that's part of the beauty of, of the particularity truth, is that there's hope for each of us. And it's not a cookie-cutter situation. And it's not a rule-based system. It's a freedom-based system. Nebuchadnezzar was right, like, do whatever you like. The land is open to you. Augustine was right on this. Love the Lord and do what you want. There is great freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We are free in Christ if we can submit to the foot washing that he brings into our lives. And if we can understand what that means for us. And how we participate in bringing that to other people. There is great freedom. There is great hope in this way. And it gets covered up and masked because so often we want to hold on to power. Just like Zedekiah. We want to hold on to our pride. Just like Peter. And what Jeremiah is telling us and what Jesus is telling us is if we will let those things go. There's great freedom and there's great hope, and there's great growth to be had in becoming our truest selves in Jesus. So that's my message for today. If you've got your communion elements that you set aside earlier, go ahead and grab those.
as we hold up the morsel of food together, this becomes the body of Christ. So I want us to say a few things over it. Say it with me. This is the bread of heaven. This is the body of Jesus. And I'll say this again. It is for freedom that Jesus sets us free. This is how Jesus sets us free. Not only does he wash our feet, but he dies on the cross for us, for all of us, for all of humanity. So, bread of heaven, body of Jesus, it is for freedom that Jesus has set us free. Raise your glass. And say with me, this is the cup of love. This is the blood of Jesus. As we consecrate this together, this becomes the blood of Jesus. A prayer for us is that we will understand all of it. All of how Jesus is coming into our lives and setting us free. And that we will be blessed by doing for others what Jesus has done for us. So, cup of love, blood of Jesus, may we understand all this and be blessed for doing it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for all the ways you serve us, for all the places and times you meet us in our moments of crisis, in the particularities of our lives, and how you wash us clean, how you humble yourself to serve us, how we receive from you life and restoration and healing and great patience and great love. I pray that something I've said this morning will stir in the hearts of everyone who sees or hears this. And specifically that each of us will reflect on the times where you've come and washed our own feet. And that we'll not only remember those times that you have shown up for us, but that by your Spirit, you'll help us to understand at a deep level what it means. That just like you asked the disciples, do you understand what I've done for you? You would ask that of each of us. And help us to understand, help us to interpret how you've acted in our lives. And help us translate that interpretation into our own action. So that we can spread your love and your freedom, your grace to all the people around us. And that by doing for others what you have done for us, we will be transformed into our truest selves. Not in a cookie-cutter way, not so that we're all alike, but each of us, in our own particularity, will shine beautifully and brightly as you have made us to do. I thank you for my sisters and my brothers. I ask your blessings upon them as they walk with you this week. As you show up for them and you help them to understand and practice and be all that you are doing and being in our lives. Amen. I love y'all. I hope to see some of you Wednesday for the grocery giveaway. And we'll be back next week with another service.
Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Gainesville Vineyard Podcast. For more information about our church and community center, including our food pantry, life skills training, legal aid, after-school and sports programs, and international missions, and how to contact us, visit GainesvilleVineyard.org or find us on Facebook. Our page name is GN Vineyard. We also have original worship songs available on iTunes. Just search for Gainesville Vineyard. You can support the work we're doing by texting the word GIVE to 352-562-7771. All donations are tax deductible. We appreciate you listening to this message and pray the Spirit speaks directly to you through something you've heard today. God bless.